Coaches, what's going on? You are tuned into the podcast for defensive line play, and this is episode number 29. If you're a regular listener to KYPD, thank you so much for tuning in each week. And if this is your first time checking us out today, and you love football, particularly defensive line play, then this is the podcast for you. We launched this podcast in late February, and I've had a lot of fun with this, and I've learned so much from the guys we've had on here as guests, whether it's been a small school, high school coach, or a Division One coordinator. It's just been a great learning experience for me, and, and I hope you are growing and, and benefiting from the coaches we bring on and the content, content we're putting out each week. I hope that is all beneficial for you as coaches. Uh, this is an extremely busy time of year for us as coaches, and extra time is at a premium. So I really appreciate you taking some of that time out of your week to check us out. I promise you I want to maximize your time and make sure you're getting some great stuff out of each episode. So we're going to keep this rolling all season long, so make sure you hang with us each week as new episodes drop every Monday. Next week for episode 30, we'll take a look back at some of the highlights from our episodes so far and also do our second installment of Inside Drill, where I take you through a coaching progression and share with you some things that I'm doing with my defensive line guys. It'll be a shorter episode with the purpose of just giving you some things that you can take from this podcast and use directly in your practice plan that week. With all that being said, let's jump into today's episode. We head out west to talk with Utah State special teams coordinator and running backs coach, Coach Stacy Collins. You heard that right. Coach Collins is the running backs coach for the Aggies, but has spent every other year of his career as a coach on the defensive side of the ball. Coach Collins is in his fourth year with the Aggies and has spent the past three years with Utah State serving as the inside linebackers coach and special teams coordinator. Overall, Coach Collins has 21 years of coaching experience, including 14 years as a coordinator and four years as a head coach at the collegiate level. Coach Collins helped Utah State to one of its most successful seasons in school history in 2018 as the Aggies went 11-2 and tied the school record for wins and home wins while being nationally ranked for six straight weeks for the first time in school history. Utah State won its fifth bowl game in school history last season with a 52-13 victory over North Texas in the New Mexico Bowl. And also, they set a school record by winning 10 straight games in 2018 and tied for first place in the Mountain Division of the Mountain West with a 7-1 mark. Utah State finished the season ranked 22nd in the final AP poll. During the 2018 season, Coach Collins helped coach an Aggie defense that led the nation in turnovers forced, 32, interceptions with 22, and three and outs forced per game, while ranking third nationally with six defensive touchdowns. The Aggies also ranked 33rd nationally in scoring defense, allowing just 22.2 points per game. During the 2017 season, Coach Collins helped coach the Utah State defense allow just 182.5 passing yards per game to rank 19th nationally. Furthermore, Utah State ranked 6th in the nation with 29 forced turnovers, including tying for 2nd nationally with its 16 forced fumbles and ranked 4th in the nation with 5 defensive touchdowns. Before that, Coach Collins came to Utah State after spending four seasons as the head coach and special teams coordinator at Division II South Dakota School of Mines, where he led the Hard Rockers to winning, winning seasons in 2013 and 15, the last being just their third in the past 30 years. Prior to his head coaching stint at South Dakota School of Mines, Co- Coach Collins served as the assistant head coach and special teams coordinator at Portland State in 2011. Before Portland State, Coach Collins spent three seasons at Central Washington as a special teams coordinator and linebackers slash defensive line coach. Coach Collins also had coaching stops at Southern Oregon in 2007, where he was a defensive coordinator, Idaho State from 2005 to 2006 as a linebackers coach, Western Washington from 2003 to 2004 as a linebackers coach, South Dakota School of Mines in 2002 as a defensive and special teams coordinator, and Western Oregon from 1998 to 2001 as a special teams coordinator and linebackers coach. 
In addition, he spent time in Europe on the coaching staff of the Vienna Vikings in Austria as the defensive coordinator and interim head coach from 1999 through 2001. And that's a really interesting part of Coach Collins' coaching history, and we're definitely going to talk about that today. Coach Collins played linebacker at Western Oregon from 1993 to 97, graduating with a bachelor's degree in physical education in 1998, and then a master's degree in education in 2001. Today we talk about some things that D-lines do that give offenses fits. Now that Coach Collins is on the offensive side of the ball, he can give us a little bit of insight as far as that goes. We also talk about Utah State's tackling circuit and what it's like coaching football in Austria. All of that and more on episode number 29 of KYPD. Coach Collins, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for stepping away from your game planning to talk some ball with us today. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Well, Coach, as I mentioned in the introduction, you're currently the running backs coach over there at Utah State, but, you know, really, let's be honest, you're kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing uh, being over there on the offense, and you've been a defensive guy up to this point. So I guess begin by telling us or giving us some background on yourself personally and your journey through the game of football. Yeah, you know, it's uh, I am a defensive guy at heart. It's been great working on the offensive side of the ball, working with running backs and working with special teams. So that's always nice to get a chance to be around a larger group of the players. But, uh, you know, I'm from uh, Southern, Southern Oregon area. Uh, so it was called the state of Jefferson, the 51st state. So I'll literally do some uh, research on that one. But grew up, went to high school in Southern Oregon, uh, played linebacker, played running back there back in the day for, for Coach Ty Solness. And, Coach Solis was a great guy. I played uh, played for USC back in the '63 in that time with OJ Simpson and that crew. Oh and wow! So so yeah, so got some good history there, and that was before OJ was real famous for some other stuff. But uh, <laughs> um, was a great head coach, great person, uh, great leader, and 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 it was did a great job with us and went on to play a college ball at Western Oregon University, which is right up the road in Monmouth, Oregon. At that time, we were NAI and I'll play, you know, and it was a great NAI league up there. It was all the private and public schools were, were there. So the central Washington, John Kidner was playing quarterback in central Washington at that time. And, you know, right through the heyday of Frosty Western was coaching, coaching ball at PLU and Tom Smythe, who's a guy that I ended up working for over in Vienna, Austria was the head coach at Lewis and Clark and a lot of good football, a lot of great small college football. We made the transition into division two right towards the end of my career. I think going into my end of my junior year, my senior year, we made a, Division two transition and then started playing some of those schools on the West Coast, the UC Davises of the world who had some really good programs. And, and we played Chico State right before they dropped. So uh, great experience playing, you know, small college football there. Played linebacker all five years in, in Monmouth and had the opportunity to, you know, coach Blaine Bennett was our was our head guy. He came in my sophomore year and then also worked with Arn Ferguson, who was my position coach, was a defensive coordinator there. My last couple of years and, and before that was Chris Ball. And so I, those are guys early on in my coaching career that were, were big mentors. Chris Ball is now the head coach at uh, NAU, but had Coach Ball had been a lot of places in between. He was at Memphis as the D.C. before and uh, he was at Alabama for a while as a D.B. coach. Just a tremendous motivator. I uh, got a chance also to work with uh, Bob Bass was initially one of our linebacker coaches when I got there. His brother, uh, Tom Bass, was a defensive coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in the uh, 
back in the day. So, you know, Coach Bass was also a great mentor, great motivator as a person. But uh, Arn Ferguson, who's now the head coach of West Norman, has been the head coach there for 17 years, was position coach for most of it, uh, defensive coordinator for a good chunk of it, and probably one of the smartest guys I've ever been around and learned a lot from uh, from Arnie at that time and, and still do. And then Coach Bennett, who's a good friend of mine and had a chance to play for coach and then work for him again later on down the road we're all there so it, it was a great time western Oregon's a, a teacher cop school all uh, all you know all of us were there for education or or law enforcement so my background as an educator started there did my undergraduate work there did my graduate work there uh, in education for both of them and got a chance when i was done playing to uh, to ga there so started ga right away at western Oregon. so a lot of ties with western Oregon. about my wife at western Oregon. Uh, my brother went to school out there. My sister went to school out there. So a lot of different family that went through that are wolves. Um, was real fortunate during my time there. Had the opportunity to uh, go on and, and get on the coach for the Vienna Vikings out in Vienna, Austria. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a great experience. I tell you, it was a, it was a neat deal. Tom Smythe, who you know, I, I mentioned before, was head coach at Lewis and Clark. And by then, you know, Tom had a background with with all the run and shoot guys, with you know, Mouse Davis, Jim Jones, and, and actually my college roommate was uh, Mouse Davis's nephew. So Eric Davis and, and me lived together. So there was a lot of ties, kind of, in that area. But Tom was looking for a defensive coordinator, uh, wanted to run the three three stuff. You know, Rocky Long had been been at Oregon State, had a lot of success. Was down in New Mexico at that time as the head coach, and Bronco Mendenhall was the DC. So was fortunate enough to get an interview with Tom. And wanted to run the three-three stuff, so was able to get that job, and went down, learned the three-three defense from Rocky and Bronco. Spent spent some time down there, and then spent three seasons coaching over in, in Vienna, which was just an unbelievable experience. Certainly from a football standpoint, it, it gave me a, a lot of responsibility at a younger age to be able to coordinate a defense. But from a life experience point, it was uh, just unbelievable to be able to travel quite a bit. And, you know, a lot of times we would only play three games, of, you know, within a month and have a week off, so. We would jump on the train, head to Rome, uh, Budapest, and Prague were, you know, close and got a chance to see and do a lot of things. And yeah. It, it was an unbelievable experience. Yeah. Well, I got to imagine, I, I mean, just all the challenges that go in with that. First of all, you're a young guy, uh, you know, kind of doing this for the first time. And then also, I'm sure there, there's a language and a cultural barrier there. So, how did all that, you know, how did you manage and navigate all of that coaching over there in Austria? Yeah, you know, it, it was pretty unique. And I'm from a small town in Southern Oregon, you know. I mean, there's you know, 6,000 people in my hometown in Western Oregon at that time and about 4,500 students. So all of a sudden you're in the city of Vienna. It's got a million and a half, maybe two million people. It was a great experience for me. I think anytime you have to get out of your comfort zone, you're handed the reins to run the defense at that early part of your career. And th- that was probably as much of a growing experience, both on and off the field for me. What we're doing now, I was real fortunate. Vienna, we had a really strong program, had great players, we had a great great organization. Um, I think the couple of things that taught me early on is, especially with the language barriers, you better keep things simple. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you, you know, and I think in its own way, that's something I've taken for a long time, but uh, you know, the ability to keep it simple, keep, keep communication simple and, and allow kids to play hard and play fast. Yeah, for sure. Well, talk about some other stops that you made as a coach and, and just some highlights from those places, some moments that, that stand out from some other stops that you made along the way in your coaching career. 
Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I mean, during our time in Vienna, it was unbelievable. We played some huge games there. You know, we ended up uh, playing for the Euro Bowl. We played Bear with the Bergamo Lions. We were in the middle of, I think, a 61-game win streak. And, you know, we had them at our place and played in that game. So there was a lot of fun games. We won three Austrian Bowls during our time there. So there was a lot of big games, a lot of close games, a lot of, you know, a lot of success there, a lot of fun, a lot of lifelong friends. And then, you know, during that time, you know, um, you know me and my wife started dating uh, pretty heavy at, at that time going into my second year. So we were sponsored. Austrian Airlines was one of our sponsors. So they were flying her back and forth for the next couple of years. So she thought I was actually something pretty big for a while. I had her fooled. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just like any coach, you better be able to recruit. So I asked her to marry me over there in Venice, Italy, after we played a game in Italy because I knew she couldn't say no. It was going to be a long, long walk home to Portland Orbit for her. So yeah, yeah. Um, you better know your situation, how to play your personnel. But uh, <laughs> Um, but you know that was you know, it was a great time from there. Uh, you know, got the defensive coordinator job out at South Dakota School of Mines and Technology, which at that time was an NAI school. Um, you know, I was a restricted earnings guy. When I was working in Vienna, I was working at Western Oregon at the same time. So I would coach through Western Oregon, coach through signing day, jump on a plane, head to Vienna, coach through the middle of July, and turn around and do that again. So I was coaching two seasons there wow. for about a three year period. So there was a lot of ball, you know. Yeah. but you know i was a restricted earnings guy not making any money and, and it was awesome loved it you know some of the best times of my life but i got offered the defensive coordinator job at south dakota school of mines had no idea where the heck rapid city south dakota was didn't know the difference between north dakota and south dakota i was just happy to have a full-time job i thought you know shoot it was you know i was making about five grand as a restricted earnings guy at western oregon and, you know south dakota school of mines was a twenty-one thousand dollar full-time job i thought i'd hit the jackpot so yeah, yeah. Packed up the U-Haul, headed out to Rapid City, and went out there. And I think, you know, Rapid City, South Dakota is an awesome place. Um, it's in the middle of the Black Hills, Mount Rushmore, you know, right up the road from it. And was very, very fortunate to be in a spot like that, you know. Didn't know what I was walking into. But I'll tell you, one of the coolest things when you're out there, and, you know, obviously, you know, later on I ended up being the head coach out there is, you know, the battle for the Homestake Trophy. There's a huge rivalry between, you know, South Dakota Mines and Black Hills State. And, um, and, and you know, it's a, I'm not exactly sure of the actual time. They'll tell you it's the third longest runway in college football. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the history reads on that, but uh, it was it was an unbelievable experience. Was able to coach and coach in that game, you know, and multiple times. It's being a rivalry that wrong, and they did a lot of a lot of information on what they called the Black Hills Brawl and battle for that trophy. And that, that was, there were some neat experiences on that, so it was great, great time out there at Rapid City. Yeah, it just sounds like already. I mean, you just got just some really unusual and unique experiences there in coaching. Um, and and you can continue to talk about those spots, but as you're thinking about that, were there some other coaches that you kind of ran into along the way that really shaped you and kind of uh, had a big part of, of uh, molding you into the coach that you are now? Yeah, I think, you know, I was fortunate enough, you know, with – Working over in Vienna with Tom Smythe was really, really unique to me. Um, and, and what I liked about Tom is he's so outside the box. You know, I mean, I've been around a lot of guys that have done it, but Tom was so unique and outside the box. I had a lot of, you know, there's, I think, you know, several guys, especially early in my career, you know, it was Western Oregon, Blaine Bennett, you know, was, you know, he was a young coach. I think he was 29 years old when he got the head job at Western Oregon. He was a great mentor for what we're doing. I ended up, his dad, Shorty Bennett, um, was there for us. And, you know, Shorty and Matt Bledsoe were really good friends. And, and so just the goal-setting side of things, you know, and, and what some of the things that Shorty brought. He ended up coaching here in Vienna with us. Shorty had a, you know, everlasting, you know, part of my career. And then Tom Smythe, I didn't work for him. Tom 
And Tom's just extremely unique. I mean, and, and just way ahead of the curve. You know, we were running a lot of tempo offense at that time. How he handled practice, how he handled players, how he handled situations was really formative to me as a young coach. And I think showed me there's a lot of different ways to do things and that you don't always have to just stay in that cookie-cutter mold. And yeah. I learned a lot from Tom that way and, and how to treat players, how to get people to play hard for you. And and so those guys all had, a, had an effect with it, you know. And yeah. I, I was real fortunate at a young age between – a lot of those guys, some of those guys that, I, that were, you know, the Chris Balls of the world and, and guys like that that were, you know, they, they all had parts of that and able to be around that as a young coach to help me a lot. Well, Coach, as we, before, we're really going to be talking a lot about tackling today and y'all's tackling circuit that you do there at Utah State. Before we jump into that, I want to ask this. So, so coaching running backs, being on the offensive side of, of the ball – how has that changed your perspective and made you a better coach, being able to go from one side of the ball to the other and see things from a different perspective? Well, I think everybody says you should do it, right? I mean, you, everybody says that. For right. Time, hey, you need to coach them. And I'll be honest, it's been great. It's been awesome. Um, and we're in there. we got a very good offensive staff, Mike Sanford Jr., the, the offensive coordinator, Jason Phillips, who's a Texas guy, you know, a big-time player. You know, he's our receiver coach. Uh, T.J. Woods is an unbelievable line coach. Frank Miley and me, who were both on staff here together. Frank's one of the best D-line coaches I've ever been around. He's coaching our tight ends. So just to be around those guys has been unbelievable. But to see exactly how offenses are looking at things. And when you talk from the protection standpoint, what causes some problems and what doesn't. And a lot of the things you, I think you feel when you're sitting in that defensive room that are causing offensive problems really don't have, maybe don't have as much of an effect as we think. And then vice versa, there's some small things, some subtle things that may cause them more problems. So for me, it's been awesome. You know, I, I jumped into it last spring once we were done with the bowl game and it's been a great experience being on the other side of the ball. I really enjoyed it. So now that, that you have uh, moved over to that side of the ball, uh, what are some things that you notice uh, from a defensive perspective that tend to give offenses, you know, some fits or, or, or kind of screw with, with what you are wanting to do on that side of the ball. And I don't want you to have to give away any secrets or anything like that, sure. but just some sure. things that, that defenses do that really can give offenses, just in general, give offenses problems. Well, I think it's a lot of the things that you, you think, you know, I mean, as, as much double eagle and barefoot you can get in, they got to have an answer for it, right? Right. Some of the stems, some of the movement, the pre-snap stuff that you can dictate, you know, those things cause a lot of different problems. You know, how defenses are playing structures off of the back, off of three-by-ones, off of four-by-zero, you know, those type of things, I think cause a lot of problems that maybe more than, than I was aware of, you know, just some of the false pressure looks that you can give and dictate those, you know, what kind of protections you're seeing, you're getting in, you're getting out of, um, you know, the, the trap corner game and, and how mixing and matching those type of things causes problems. Yeah. You know, just some subtle things like that that I think are pretty good. Yeah, because, you know, so many times uh, it's the defense that's 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 really has the pressure put on them to try to come up with a look or a, a coverage or a front or a pressure that's going to get a stop. But it sounds like what you're saying is when defenses actually do those things that it really – turns the tables on the offense and puts the pressure on you guys to try to figure out is that guy coming you know is that a single high safety or are they are they just are they baiting or, or what are they doing there you know is that front are they stemming or is that where they're going to wind up you know all those things really work to put the pressure back on the offense 
There's no question about it. No doubt about it. And I, and again, anytime that we know where you're at from an offensive standpoint, we're a pretty good thing together. Anytime there's a decision, it's the same. And I think you can say that about both sides of the ball. Yep. Sometimes I think we take that for granted when we're on one, one side or the other. Right, right. Let's jump into the tackling circuit that, that, that y'all are doing there at Utah State. Uh, talk to us about that and walk us through that, what that looks like. Sure. You know, we, we want to tackle every day. And with that, for us, it's only about a five to minute, five to seven minute shot at max. You know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, circuit it out with all three, with our groups or so D line, our linebackers and our DBs. And within that, we want to try to work three, three base tackle, you know, tackle drills every day. We're going to work an open field sideline tackle drill every day. We're going to work what we call a magnet path every day and then we're going to work some type of form tackle every driven day so they're really about two minute shots we're getting you know all our guys through about maybe two to three reps max per station but it's putting emphasis on the things that we think is important and and just like anything you get what you emphasize right and we can only emphasize so many things i mean i know we all want to we want to do everything great but i think you got to make sure you're emphasizing the things that are really going to, going to make a difference for you and we certainly want to make sure we're great tacklers so those are the three three circuits we work every day. Um, our form tackle drill is, is really just exactly what it sounds, but we do it multiple ways. So everything we do is in a controlled environment. Obviously there's a lot of discussion on the, on how people tackle, how much they tackle, but for us, we want to make sure we're handling things in a controlled environment. So our form tackle drill initially is we're just going to put two launch pads, the big heavy pads, you know, that you can dive on. Right. And we're going to make sure our guys are just forming things up and fit through a form tackle. So we'll just have one player sitting right, or really standing right behind those two launch pads that are stacked to each other. So yeah, the player who's tackling is going to be damn near nose to nose with them. And then all we're going to talk about is throwing the uppercuts. We're going to throw our, you know, throw our arms up and through and putting our eyes to the sky and then launching our feet all the way up and through. So it's just a tight six inch step. We throw the uppercuts, put our eyes to the sky and just that feel of that form tackle as I'm trying to work that momentum up and through. Uh, and, and just land our guy right on those two launch pads. So it's not a very far fall for the guy that's being tackled. So that's where we'll start it. Um, the other thing I should say as we're teaching our tackling is we'll have our three main groups, but all our redshirt guys, all our young guys, we give them GA, and they, they take them through one of those tackle deals a day and try to emphasize and slow it down for them a little bit with our tackle progression. Yeah. So part of our form tackle with it, we'll start them on those launch pads, but we'll also do it with hand shields. So as we progress and feel like we're, we're, we've got good body control, we're taking nice tight steps, we're throwing the uppercuts, we've got our eyes in the sky, then we'll start working into about a two or three step progression and just work that with those hand shields. One of the players hold the hand shield and us working our, our, our footwork up to it, you know, throwing our eyes, you know, throwing the uppercuts, eyes in the sky, and then we'll start driving our feet for five yards. So our form tackle starts in a small control environment, then we move it out just a little bit farther. Yeah. Uh, do you do you see that, um, or have you found that a lot of times, you know, it's it's that how, how, that it's really really important to start that way to start very basic and re, and really like you said, the guy's face mask or nose is right up against that pad or, or that the the guy that he's tackling. I think sometimes we can start off with those guys three or four yards apart with a lot of space, and that leads to to errors, all sorts of errors and mistakes and tackling. So is it how how important is it that that you guys start out that basic and that that close up and eliminate that space and that that margin for error when you're teaching this tackling? Well, it's extremely important to us. You know, and like I said earlier, my background's as an educator. I think you got to start small to whole, right? And when you're dealing with with any type of athlete, but whether we're teaching a tackling skill, whether we're teaching something on special teams, we want to start in those control environments, teach small to whole. 
Because if not, I think you begin to get so many moving parts that you're not, you're getting away from the true fundamental part of the skill. And most of us can stop the tape. You know, it's no different than us playing the other night. And you can see those mistakes, you know, that aren't, that we have not done as good a job of teaching from a small to whole perspective. Right, right. Uh, so you mentioned already some cues I heard you talk about. Are you some cues that, that you might say as a coach uh, when you're when you're overseeing these drills or running these drills? So talk us walk us through some some coaching cues, some things that that as a coach that I would say to these guys when I'm coaching them up on the technique, when I'm watching them go through these tackle circuits. Yeah, you know, when we're talking full attack, we're talking straight head up tackle, which honestly doesn't happen a ton in football anymore, right? You know, right. So, so much more of those tackles are off to the side. But when we're, when we're, you know, and one of the things we want to talk about when we're practicing is if I see your eyes, I'm good to thudge it. I'm good to work a form tackle right there. If I don't see your eyes, okay, we're just going to tag the hip. And that's for, you know, player safety and safety for our own teammates, right, at the end of the day. But yeah. So those are a couple of cues we talk about just with our third tackle. I mean, when we're form tackle, if I see your eyes, thug mine hard. And what we mean by that is, again, okay, I'm going to throw those uppercuts all the way up and through. I'm going to put my eyes in the sky, and we tell our guys to drive for five. We really leave it that simple. Yeah, yeah. As as uh, I'm sure that, that you are, you know, you are familiar with this. And, and for us, uh, coaches in Texas, we all have to be Atavis certified, which is, you know, a, a, uh, a company that's really promoting a rugby style of tackle, uh, of tackling. How much are y'all uh, of that are y'all incorporating into your tackling circuits? You know, with, with the Seahawks came out with the Hawk tackle uh, a few years ago. Uh, now you have the big tackling rings and things. A lot of, a lot of, a lot is being done to take the head out of the tackle. Is that something that y'all work on and incorporate? And that's part of your tackling circuit? We do. That's all our sideline tackle progression. So that's another one of our circuits right there. And with our sideline tackle, it's really your rugby tackle off of that. Yeah. Now we're working different angles to it. And we're going to, you know, and the nice thing is from, from what the Seahawks brought and the rugby side of it, that that's, and that's the primary tackle we're seeing, you know, football's turned into a sideways game, right? right. All the RPOs, all, right. the, all the movement. And when you really look at, you know, we, we chart this stuff and you see what type of tackles you're seeing almost 65, 70% of them are going to be that sideline. You know, open field rugby type tackle. Right. Exactly. So we work that a lot, and and you know, really, the, you know, the biggest fundamentals we're trying to get on that is, you know, we want to make sure that we're, you know, our aiming point is going to be on that thigh board. We we do not care what side our heads on, you know, off of that. So we're, you know, the whole time you had to get your head across, you're working across, you don't. All we're trying to do is shut the engine down on on, on the player. So we want we want to make sure we're wrapping with those thighs, and we we just call it a gator tackle from there. We're yeah. just wrapping and rolling yep. off of that. Yep. Well, so in addition to a to doing a tackle circuit, okay, uh, maybe maybe if I'm a high school coach that doesn't have a whole lot of time to do that, or, or our time is limited, so how how can I coach tackling? Maybe in a group situation, whether it be inside drill or team, you know, what are some things that I can do to to reinforce proper tackling technique during those times? Yeah, you know, and, and I think for us, it's all about understanding that practice tempo, what we're trying to get. And I think the best thing we do, if we see eyes, if I can square you up, then, then we'll work our form tackle. But anytime we're from the side, we're going to punch right at your hip. And we used to tag with the palms up off of that, you yeah. know, on the side. But yeah. now, you know, we're punching with our thumbs up right at your hip. So anytime I'm, I'm, I'm going to profile tackle something on the side, and I think it's easier for kids if you say, hey, if I can't see them and see the running the ball carrier's eyes, then, then we're going to tag that hip. So we want to have a tight punch at that hip. 
And with that, our thumbs are up. And that way we're, we're putting our eyes right on that target zone. Yep. And all that's going to lead into is your gator tackle, your rugby tackle as you get into life football. Right. I do want to see them sink their hips. I want to see their eyes working right to that hip, you know, right right to the point of the hip, right above the thigh board. And I want to see them punch them with that thumbs up. And I think that's extremely important, <laughs> whether it's an inside run deal, whether it's a punt cover drill. Whether, you know what I mean? Anytime we're doing it, that, yep. we're, we're sinking those hips. We see our eyes working to that target. And then we're punching with the thumbs up because that's going to put us in the best position as we play some live football we're taking people to the ground yeah well and that's what that was leads to the next question i was going to ask you is how much of your tackling in practice especially we're talking in season not necessarily spring ball or fall camp but now that we're in season how much of your tackling in practice is thud or or, you know you're keeping those guys up or maybe tagging off the hip versus actually taking people to the ground we just don't go to the ground very often we really yeah. don't. I mean, yeah. you have a couple of scrimmages in camp, you know, that, that you're doing it, but we don't go to the ground very much at all, very much at all. And so for us, it's imperative that we're working proper technique, we're working a thud tempo, we're working a tag tempo. And, you know, we want to define those tempos, you know, whether it's tag, whether it's thud. Obviously, you have your live tempo, but we just don't do that much anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the risk of injury, you know, in a lot of different ways, obviously the head injuries you have right now and, and all those things. But uh, for us, we don't. I mean, we're probably – you know, 90% thud, and then many time we're, we don't have shoulder pads on, we're tagging. So right. if, if, you, if you're not teaching that, if you're not demanding that, you're not demanding proper technique, you're not going to tackle very well. Right. That's Friday nights or Saturdays. Um, so I think that attention to detail is critical. And, and here's the thing, you know, and I was a head division two coach for a little bit of time, but I think the most important thing to do is show your kids what you're asking them to do. You know, we all talk about, you know, we used to start every meeting. Hey, these, these, these are three great examples of how we practice. This is a great thug example right here. This is not. This is what we can't do. You know, this is this is a great tag temple right here. If his eyes are away, this is what I tag the hip. I don't, you know, I, I don't take a shot on him when I can't see his eyes. And, and Aggies take care of Aggies is what we say here. And, you know, you take care of your own guys. But teaching that tempo and teaching that technique is imperative for your success. Because if you begin to get sloppy, if you can't bend your knees, if you're not targeting that hip when, when you're tagging, those or, you know, directly correlate to, to bad tackling on game day. Right. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Coach, is, is actually giving those guys a picture of what you want them to do and, and, and what that should look like. Because, like you said, I, and I think that's good, I, you know, that, that really as we move away from actually taking guys to the ground and practice because we want them to be healthy on Saturdays or Fridays or whenever we're playing. And we want to, you know, make sure that they're they're not taking unnecessary hits or shots or whatever. But then we also got to make sure that they're getting in correct tackling position in practice, because otherwise that will show up in the game. And and you know we we've all been there. We see guys not breaking down or not getting their eyes on thighs or whatever it is. And so that's definitely something we got to. If we're not going to be taking them to the ground and doing all that, we got to make sure that their body position is at least getting or is correct when they're coming to make a tackle. No doubt. No doubt. Well, let, let me ask you this. So in addition to, to coaching running backs there, uh, you're the special teams coordinator. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. So you're the special teams coordinator. Uh, how does this tackling or this style of tackling, how does that fit in with, with, with special teams, obviously with, with, with kickoff and with, with punt coverage? It, it fits into all of it, right? And we work it all. And I'll, part of my time as a coordinator is we work a team tackle circuit because – what happens is your defensive guys are going to do this stuff, right? That's part of their DNA. It's part of what they do every day. But our offensive guys don't. So I actually have team tackle circuits, team overall circuits in general, whether that's block destruction. for Because our offensive guys don't work it. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of our running backs, wide receivers that are playing on a lot of our special teams. 
So we work those skills into it. We have a specialist period, a five-minute specialist period every day of practice. We will work those skills into it. And then I have multiple team circuits that will work everybody from our offensive line to our running backs. Even our quarterbacks and kickers will be involved and long snappers will be involved with that. Because if you don't teach it, sure as I can't expect them to be good at it when you're on game day. Exactly. Exactly. Well, as, as, um, you know, I coached kickoff for several years and, and I, that's, I, that's really a, 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 a part of the game that's close to my heart near and dear to my heart. And it's also one of those things I feel like is going away that in four or five, uh, definitely in 10 years, that that's, that's probably going to be a part of the game that, that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, as much as I hate to say that, but talk about ta- tackling technique it from a from a from a kickoff coverage perspective perspective because I think with this uh, as you mentioned the gator tackling or the rugby tackling or whatever it is that we're really seeing a shift in the way that we ask people to tackle on kickoff coverage so talk about how you coach that up for your kickoff coverage team yeah so you know we we do, we do a lot of the same drills and the other one that we get into a lot from a kickoff coverage or a punt coverage standpoint especially with our skill guys whether that's our, our, our gunners or you know our kickoff guys are down is, so we're working the heel swipe you know the ankle swipe off of that because a lot of times that's what it comes into in space right yeah um one of the best drills we do is just on the launch pad again we're going to get we're going to drag a bag off the back of that and we're going to try to get those guys diving and swiping that leg and that ankle yeah and that's been one of the big ones and that's one of our sideline progression drills we do also but we use that a lot and you see that a lot on tape you know as you're coming through because again you know there's a lot of speed there's a lot of space going on you know so you know you're either using some type of gator slash rugby tackle or you're going to use some type of heel sweep or ankle sweep or whatever you're calling that type of tackle those are a lot more predominant than the old squared up tackle in that situation just doesn't happen much anymore right exactly exactly well coach uh as as we kind of get ready to transition into uh, to, to, to some wrap up questions, um, I, I'm curious, you know, going for or being a defensive coach for so long, and now you're switching over to to the offensive side of the ball. Uh, if you could sum up your coaching style in one word, what what would that be? Uh, JUIs, you know, little juice. Let's go. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I'm a teacher, though. I mean, I guess, you know, we're going to we're going to have a lot of energy. I'm going to coach with a lot of energy, um, but I'm also a teacher. That's my background. So, I, you know, I think, you know, we're going to be high energy here. But this, at the end of the day, we're going to teach with progression. We're going to find out what your learning style is. and We're going to teach to it. So I know that's more than one words, but, I, you know, I'd say we're going to have a lot of juice with what we do. If you see me out there in practice, so we're going to we're going to have fun doing it. But at the same time, to me, great teachers, I mean, great coaches are great teachers. And that's as important as anything. Yeah, coaches, I love that. I love that word juice. And man, I I, I just can't stand, you know, our, our head coach talks about all the time, no Eeyores. You know, we don't right. want any of those guys running around. And, and it's easy, especially as we get ready to be in the sort of the dog days of the season where you kind of get where the newness is worn off and it becomes a bit of a grind that that's really important, especially for us coaches to bring the juice every day, you know, to every every segment, every period, uh, every rep that we got. Otherwise, you know, we can't expect our guys to have it if we're not bringing it. So that's a great, great word to, uh, to, to, to sum up your coaching style. Uh, speaking of coaching, you know, you, you've, you've coached overseas, you've coached, um, you know, at, at small schools, at bigger schools, but if you weren't coaching, what's, what, what do you think you would be something you'd be doing for a living? I'll be teaching, you know, that's, that's what I, you know, that's what I do. You know, if I'm not, that's just, that, that's my passion, you know, um, and, and that's what I, you know, set to do and, and got set on this college track and, 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 you know, love this game. And to me, that's been the best part of it. I'm able to stay around the game of football, which I truly believe is the greatest game 
ever uh, for a lot of different reasons, but the ability it is to, you know, teach the basics of life and what, what it's done for me and what it does to these young men. But uh, I would be a teacher. That's what, that's what I think. Doing. What, what, I'm curious, what, what subject would you teach? Uh, you know, believe it or not, I was a math major for a couple of years. Oh, so nice. I I, 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 then I looked around the room one day and realized, you know, I, I was probably the only one in there that looked, looked like that. And, uh, uh bounced over and started finished up a PE, but yeah. um, started as a math and went all the way through the calculus sequence was going to teach, was teach math. Cause I knew it could always have a job and then, yeah. you know, bounced over to PE and health off of that. But, uh, you know, one of those subjects, probably math where they at least have a job at the end of the day. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. Um, yeah, did my undergrad grab had P and health as a okay. there. Well, you mentioned you know being a, a a young coach and and getting those experiences overseas. So I'm curious, you know, if you were to give a, a young coach starting out uh, some advice, what what would you tell them uh, as they're getting as they're just now starting their coaching career? Yeah, you know, you got to grind, man. You got to work at it. And you get, it doesn't all come fast. I, I think. You know, so much to today's day and age is, you know, I need quick reinforcement, I need quick success, I need this, and do it because you have passion to coach. And the more money we all make, and we all make too much damn money doing this right now, is you lose people that are coaching for the passion of it, for the right reasons, and and those reasons are to change the lives of young men, and to change my life as as a young student athlete, and, and that's the passion I have with it. But I think make sure it's the passion that you want to do, because this is not an easy profession. And don't do it because there's a lot of money out there. Those are the wrong reasons. Do it because you have a passion. Do it. If you have that, you'll do this thing forever and love it. Uh, if you don't, get out and do something else, man. Uh, those would be my best words of advice. Yeah, yeah. Well, last question, and then we'll get you out of here on this one. Uh, who is the best college football player that you've ever seen in person? Seen in person? Uh, I'll tell you, the guy who torched me big time in 16 was a Dory Jackson, man. <laughs> I was a special teams coordinator. We went down to the Coliseum, and that dude, he, you know, he, he was awesome. In yeah. person, he was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, electric, electric, you know. And, and so he, he, he well, I've been fortunate to coach a lot of good ones. I've seen a lot of good ones, but that dude was electric on the field that I've seen, that I've, as I've seen. Yeah, I, I can't imagine being around a guy like that that, that can – literally take over a game just by himself uh, with his athletic ability. Okay. Yeah, he did it again. He did it on special teams. He did it on defense. I do think that guy was special. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Coach Collins, I really do want to tell you how much I appreciate you taking some time out of your week. I know that, that time is at a premium for, for you guys, especially uh, college coaches. So thank you for, for taking some time to talk some ball with us today and share some of your, your knowledge with us. And I want to wish you and, and the uh, the Utah State Aggies the best of luck this season, and we'll be in touch with you and be keeping up with you throughout the season. All right, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Great stuff from Coach Collins today. Good luck to Coach Collins and the Aggies as they take on San Diego State in a huge Mountain West Conference showdown this Saturday night. Be sure to follow Coach Collins on Twitter, at CoachCollinsUSU. And follow us on Twitter as well, at KYPD Podcast. Okay, here's the deal. New followers this week, we'll get a shout-out on next week's episode, and we'll definitely follow you back. So you really have nothing to lose as far as giving us a follow on Twitter. We're not begging for Twitter followers, but, but it would be nice to get that number up. Make sure you rate and review this podcast and spread the word within the coaching community if you're liking what you're hearing here on KYPD. Our quote of the day comes from Eric Thomas, and it's short and sweet, but very, very true. And it is, winners win and losers lose. That'll do it for us today. Make sure you join us again next week for Volume 2 of Inside Drill. But until then, 
keep your pads down.